0: Okay. Good morning again. We need to do a better job with this meet and greet. You guys are kind of like, you know, good morning. My name is Dennis Fay. I'm one of the elders and welcome to Grace Church Waldorf. As a matter of fact, welcome to National Back to Church Sunday. And you know what? If you're here for the very first time, thank you. We're glad that you're here. And I would like to ask you to do three things for me if this is your first Sunday. First, when you leave the service, stop at our Welcome Center, which is to the right, and pick up a gift. We have a special gift for you. Secondly, if you have a smartphone, would you take it out right now, if you would, and just text WELCOME to 301-756-1411. This will prompt you to put your email address in. We just want your email address so we can stalk you all week, no. We, we just want to say hello to you and, and pray for you. And third, would you join us after the service for a special lunch? We just want to hang out with you and just enjoy your fellowship. Also, for all of you, if you would like to receive our weekly uh, email called the Grace Connect, it has a ton of information. You can text CONNECT to 301-756-1411. Let's take a moment right now and... Let's pray. Would you bow with me, please? Our gracious and heavenly Father, we rejoice in who you are. You have all the power in heaven and earth, and you have all the wisdom to use that power for your glory and honor. And and Lord, you rule over this entire universe. You are awesome. You are amazing. There is nothing, nothing too hard for you. We've seen your hand in our world and in the affairs of our individual lives. And so we're so thankful, Lord, that you're in charge. And this morning, Lord, we, we lift up some of our needs and burdens to you. There's nobody here who doesn't have some type of need. Lord, there are some right now who may have physical needs or emotional needs or, or there may be some marital issues or financial issues. Lord, we just bring those needs to you. You care for us, you love us, and you say that you'll never leave us nor forsake us. So we thank you. And Lord, as we start a brand new ministry season here, we thank you for the many, many ministries, the leaders, and those who serve so faithfully. Bless the ministry here. But Lord, more importantly, we pray this morning that your name would be lifted up. We pray that you would be glorified, and we pray that you'd be well pleased with our worship service. So we ask and pray these things in the strong name of Christ Jesus. Amen. amen. Well, just as I mentioned a moment ago, this is National Back to Church Sunday. Actually, there are over a thousand churches across our nation today participating in this wonderful event where we intentionalize getting people back to church. Now, quite frankly, every Sunday should be National Back to Church Sunday. But it is what it is. So I'm glad that you are here. Um, If you're visiting, again, for the first time, glad you're here. Maybe you've come back after a season away. Glad you're here. Maybe you've been coming every Sunday. Really glad you're here. Um, Maybe you're back after a devastating car accident Mike Metz. Glad you're here. Maybe, you know, you're, uh, <laughs> yeah, amen. Or maybe you're watching online. I'm glad you're all here. Everyone is welcome. This church, and I believe every Bible-believing church, is here to help and support you and your family's spiritual needs. We are here to help you discover what the Bible says about God and his plan for your life. You know, honestly, at Grace Church, we've been blessed with an amazing facility. God's given us almost 17 acres and many, many buildings. But can I say this? The church is not about a building. It's not about brick and mortar. The church is about you and me. It's about people. People who are looking for a purpose. People who are looking for an authentic relationship. People who are looking for support. And people who are looking for hope. You see, the basis of the Christian faith is an audacious hope that God is at work in our lives. A hope that things don't have to remain the same tomorrow as they are today. A hope that broken things can be mended. A hope that we can be loved by our creator. Maybe this morning you've come here and needed some hope. Once again, glad you're here. Perhaps the weight of the world is more than you can bear. Or perhaps you've come here today because you feel there's nowhere else to turn. Let me state this as clearly as I can. Hope happens here. Hope happens here. This morning, we are going to be in the Word of God as we are every single Sunday. We are a Bible-believing church. So I will have Scripture on the screen for you. But you know what? If you like to follow with your Bibles, please do so. But also, if you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles under the seat. And if you don't own a Bible, would you please take that Bible as our gift? We want you to have the Word of God. But this morning, well, I'm also going to share a few illustrations to really um, illustrate a few points I'm going to make. Starting with the story. Pastor Timothy George, executive editor of Christianity Today and his sermon, Unseen Footprints, recounts a story told to him by a professor during his time at Harvard Divinity School. He recalls a professor telling a story from when he was preaching in Louisiana during the Depression. Electricity was just coming into that part of the country, and he was out in a rural church that had just one little light bulb hanging from the ceiling to light the entire sanctuary. He was preaching away when in the middle of the sermon, the electricity went out. Well, this young preacher didn't know what to say, so he stumbled until one of the elderly deacons sitting all the way in the back yelled out, preach on, preacher, preach on. You see, we can still see Jesus in the dark. And sometimes, sometimes that's the only time we can see Jesus. You know, um, in the Gospel of John, Jesus refers to himself as the light of the world. John eight twelve says, again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And, folks, it is Jesus who both illuminates our lives and exposes all the needs that need to be restored. And the illuminating and healing hope of Jesus can be found throughout the Scripture, from Genesis through the book of Revelation, but relax, we're not going through the entire book of the Bible today. But I do want to make three specific points together. And matter of fact, I'm going to just take away all the suspense and give you the three points right now. Then we'll get into it a little deeper. First, God has a plan for your life. God has a plan for your life. Secondly, he loves you with a never-ending love. And third, you can do anything his strength. For these three reasons, quite frankly, many more, we have hope for an illuminated and restored life. So let's take a look at the first point. Hope in God's plan for your life. You were created by God. He made you with the purpose and and intention, and and he placed you uniquely uh, in, in the family you have and equipped you with gifts and abilities that you possess. But you know what? The greatest questions And mankind has always been, who am I? And why am I here? Right? And God offers us the answers to these questions, which gives us hope. I think one of the most well-known verses of Scripture is found in the Old Testament. Jeremiah 29, 11. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Listen, plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. Now look, the backdrop of this passage of Scripture uh, is that Israel has been conquered by Babylon, and many people were going to be put into captivity. And this was known as, as the exile. And it was a very dark time in Israel's history, and they've had many, but this was a very, very dark time. And many of God's people lost hope and believed that God had forgotten them. And I would argue that today, many people feel the same way. We've just gone through a uh, pandemic. Maybe um, you're having some type of relational conflict, or maybe you've received some type of devastating diagnosis. And we may wonder if God has forgotten about us and be tempted to lose hope. But however, the writer makes a profound, profound statement here. He says, for I know the plans I have for you, plans for welfare and not evil, to give you a future and a hope. It is God who places hope in the hearts of his people. He tells them that though they were now living in a land that was not their own, and even though um, Jerusalem had been destroyed, God was not done with them yet. He still had a plan to prosper them and not to harm them. God was working on a better future for Israel. He had not forgotten them. And a few chapters later, chapter 32, interesting, God tells Jeremiah to purchase a piece of land, which is fascinating because that instruction really didn't make any sense since Israel was under siege. But God reminds Jeremiah that he's not done with them, that there is hope for Israel's return to its home because again, God has a plan. And God fulfilled that plan today. me. It's like planting a fruit tree, right? We know that trees don't produce fruit overnight. In fact, it takes years of growth before you harvest any fruit. I mean, many trees begin as a little twig. You plant it, and you feel like there's no chance of survival. But you plant it, you water it, you nurture it, and hopefully several years later, you can produce a harvest. Just the other day, I was talking with our facilities director, John Wathin, who was getting ready to harvest some, some grapes. And John planted those grapevines many, many years ago. And, you know, God was asking Jeremiah to be faithful and plant himself, even though there seemed zero chance of survival. Because God was working an even greater plan for the good of his people. God has a plan. and He has a plan for your life as well. Listen, wherever you find yourself today, again, I want to encourage you that God has a plan for your life. And listen, when you continually do the next right thing and live in obedience to God, you can rest assured that you will live into God's purpose for your life and he will produce wonderful, wonderful fruit in and through you. God wants to produce fruit and God wants to use us. He has a plan for us. God has a plan for your life and you can put your hope in him because his love and care for his creation is unfailing and never ending, never ending. That gives me a great segue into point number two, hope and God's never ending love. You know, the truest thing about you is that you are loved by God. And I believe love is the most powerful force on the face of the earth. The apostle Paul appeals to the powerful love of God as he writes to the early church in Rome. Similar to Israel living in a foreign land of Babylon, God's people are in the midst of a sinful and foreign culture in Rome. In Rome, trust me, it was a very difficult place to be. Persecution and suffering, unlike anything you'll, you'll ever see or witness. I hope. But Paul wanted to instill hope in the lives of the believers there. And Paul writes in Romans, he says, No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God and Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus our Lord. Folks, Paul tells them, you are conquerors. You're conquerors. You are not defeated. No matter how bad things may be or how hopeless your situation may appear, you're overcomers. You've overcome. Why does Paul make this claim? It's because God loves them. He is convinced that nothing can separate God's people from God's love. Death can't do it. Demons can't do it. Deaths of despair can't do it. God, listen, God's love is so prevailing, so potent that it's, it's ever-present and never-ending. And you know what? God loves us no matter what. No matter what. He loves us when we love him back, but he also loves us when we fail to love him in return. God can't love you anymore, nor can he love you any less. His love is perfect. Several years ago, Becky... Zerbi wrote a magazine article titled Penning a Marriage, while her husband Roger was succumbing to early onset of Alzheimer's disease. In this article, she shared a note that he wrote to her Honey, today fear is taking over. The day is coming when all my memories of this life we share will be gone. You and the boys will be gone from me. I will lose you even as I am surrounded by you and your love. I don't want to leave you. I want to grow old in the warmth of memories. Forgive me for leaving so slowly and painfully. This is what Becky wrote. My sweet husband, I will continue to go on loving you and caring for you, not because you know me or remember our life, but because I remember you. I will remember the man who proposed to me and told me he loved me, the look on his face when his children were born, the father he was, the way he loved our extended family. I recall his love for riding, hiking, and reading, his tears of sentimental movies, the unexpected witty remarks, and how he held my hand when we prayed. I cherish the pleasure obligation, commitment, and opportunity to care for you because I remember you. This is the kind of sacrificial, pervasive love that Paul was referring to in Romans. Now, the Greek word used in this passage from Romans for the word love is the word agape. Kevin Newsom talked about this a couple of weeks ago. And agape literally means a selfless and sacrificial kind of love. The kind of love that gives without needing anything in return. And God's agape love for his people caused him to offer his one and only son on a cross for a sacrifice for our sins till we, we might have new life. And this sacrifice, friends, was once and for all. And listen, it's available for everyone, for everyone. You see, our hope is found not only in his plan for us, but also in his love for us. And there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. And folks, that truth empowers us to face any challenge life may serve up. God's love is perfect. Point three hope and God's strength. Hope and God's strength. Let me give you a no duh statement. Living a Christian life is no easy task. It isn't, right? I mean, living counterculturally, um, loving our enemies, giving generously, serving faithfully, and avoiding sin obediently are all costly endeavors. You see, the way of Jesus is not something we could do in our own strength. And if we try, it will leave us exhausted and burned out, and we will fail. We will fail. In other words, we must rely on God's strength to do it. Now, the apostle Paul speaks again to this hope we have when writing to the early church in Philippi. Again, the surrounding context in this passage is persecution, suffering, and imprisonment. In fact, as Paul pens this letter, he sits in chains because of his faith in Jesus Christ, and you would think that Paul would be hopeless. Just the opposite. He was rejoicing. Paul had hope. Because Paul writes in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. All things. Listen, when we become followers of Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God actually takes a residence inside of us. The Holy Spirit indwells in us, and it becomes the engine behind our faithful obedience. So when we feel like we can't forgive that person who hurt us, the Spirit of God gives us strength to set them free. And you know what? In doing so, we set ourselves free from bitterness and anger. When we want to defeat a sinful pattern in our lives, we don't have to do it alone. You can't do it alone, right? We can rely on God's strength. When we want to make a difference in the world by serving those around him. We can't accomplish much. Not because of hard work, although hard work is important, but because of the work God has done in and through us. My prayer this morning is that we would be bursting with hope as we become become more aware of God's plan, his love, and his strength. That is is ours through Christ Jesus. The next month, here at this church, we will be going to the book of 1 Thessalonians, looking at hope, hope in difficulty, hope in heaven, hope in holiness, hope in his return. Folks, we live in a world that desperately needs hope, and I pray, I am going to encourage, I'm going to challenge you, especially if you're here for the first time, would you journey with us over the next four weeks. And I pray that you'll see, learn, and understand what hope is and how you can have it. Last Sunday, at the end of the service, we had a gentleman came up and shared a really short testimony of how um, a woman in her neighborhood as they were moving in, literally moving in, came over and introduced herself. She offered to help, got into a conversation, and then invited the family to church. That family's been here for over 10 years. What a blessing that family's been to our church just by inviting. We have another powerful testimony of another young lady in our church whose best friend needed some hope. She invited her friend to her Bible study and then to church, and ended up receiving Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. You want to see this, take a look at this. Hey, I'm Courtney Dixon, and this
1: is my friend Crystal Zabowski. We um, became friends on the school bus in public school around like elementary or middle school age and in high school We ended up splitting apart going to different schools. She remained in public. I went to Grace, but um, we remained friends
2: My dad was diagnosed with um, prostate cancer and probably around 2010 I don't think I really understood the severity of it.
1: like the reality. Yeah, yeah, I don't
2: think I really realized, just, you know, of course you're a kid, you think your parents are going to be fine, like, it's boring. And when it came down to it, in 2012, he actually passed away the year before my uh, my senior year. He passed away the month before school started. and. I don't think I really grieved because my mom, I wanted to be there for her. My husband proposed to me actually in 2013. And my brother, but he was supposed to walk me down the aisle. And he actually passed away a month before my wedding. So he passed away in May and we got married in June. Um, And he passed away from a heart defect and Um, He had a lot of health issues that he didn't know about. So I actually have two brothers, Um, I had Bud who passed away suddenly, and then I have another older brother who struggles with addiction. Um, He actually blessed me with three nephews. They were like, I don't know, they were like my own kids, like we loved them. My mom moved to North Carolina, then my brother and his girlfriend at the time followed with my nephews, so I lost my nephews as well. 2018, me and my husband had our little boy. So a month after my son was born, we got a phone call from CPS saying that my nephews were gonna get put in the system if we didn't get there in 30 minutes, which was not plausible because we lived five hours away. And then we ended up getting them um, in July, 2019. And we kept them for about a year and a half before the system called us again and said that we had reached our max with foster care and we had to either adopt them now or they were getting put back in the system. And financially, I didn't think we were the best place for them. It was really hard and it was hard to accept that now I was gonna lose them too. So I got hit like really hard with all that. And then I was like, you know, I'm like in a really dark place. And I was mad, I was angry. I didn't understand why our life had so many downfalls, so many hardships. I didn't understand, like, if we were doing so many good things, why were we always getting hit with bad things? And so that's when I really realized that I wasn't going to get out of this on my own. And so I called Courtney, and I knew she was really, really strong in her faith. And then she invited me to, to Bible study, and I was so scared. I was really nervous. Like, I was like, these girls are going to be so perfect in their faith, and I don't even know what the first book in the Bible is. And when I walked in that room, I was really, like, I had this picture of what it was going to be like. I have all these perfect little ladies sitting down, gosh, these girls. They're so, like, I feel bad for me that way because they're so amazing. Like, they're like, I tell her all the time, like, thank you for allowing me to be a part of your family that you didn't have to share with me. But I feel like I could tell them anything and I don't come into a study without feeling like I can't say what's on my mind, and what's on my heart because they truly listen and they don't touch me at all. And they don't take it and run and I'm not the latest gossip. And like, that's how I thought. Or, you know, I always thought they were gonna push at me they were gonna be like oh let's do this let's do this push 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 and I was afraid of that because I was so angry and they didn't they did it they like taught me at like the best level for me like they felt the, they felt what I needed they didn't make me feel like I was being pushed either way they didn't make me feel like I had to keep coming they didn't make me feel like but they also wanted me to come so it was weird it was like you know they don't have to come but you're welcome i don't know it was like the weirdest acceptance that i never thought i would get
1: in the summer of 2021 crystal started going to bible study and then it was like a few um, mondays into the bible study that we prayed with Courtney arrest that um, she would be saved and that she would ask jesus into her heart and um yeah since then i think i can tell she's still working through the loss in her life and learning how good God is and the the few times she came to Grace and listened to the music I think they're playing the goodness of God
2: yes and
1: she's working (laughs) through this in her mind like is he good is he good
2: I was at my deepest point like I don't think I would be where I am now without the community with God and the people of His, his people,
1: I don't think I would have been been there without these people. Like, and if you think about it, it's really God who's yeah. It's these crazy because if you would have told me a
2: year ago that I would be doing this regularly, being <laughs> upset that I can't go to Monday night Bible study, like I would have been like, okay. <laughs> but like here I am. Like I get upset. I'm like, you better get off work, Brian, because I'm going. Like better make sure you're all done, They're having it tonight. You better hurry up. Like, I don't want to miss it. And that's that's great and weird and like surreal almost, like that that's me now. And there's so much power in the community that you can build with God and his people and the things that they can do for
1: you and the things he can do for you. Um, I just thought it was was impossible that Crystal was going to be coming to Bible study and now she goes to Bible study and we do so much together at Grace. She wants to be involved in like the Grace women's events. Um, she's done the Food Truck Festival, the Who's Coming for Dinner. She's been invited out kayaking. We went with some of the girls. Um, She's been invited to a coffee date, a play date with women from Grace. Steve Collingnan led us through a finance class over the summer and him and his family sacrificed a lot of time for that. We really learned a lot from it too. So um, she even served in the children's church. So yeah, um, actually one of the women from Grace She didn't see her at one event, and she said, where's your twin? Like, I need to see her. (laughs) So I think she feels really loved, and I can tell that she just wants to be at Grace. She wants to be with the church.
0: You notice she didn't say she wanted to be at church. She wanted to be with church. Hope happens here. It happens when you step out, you invite someone. a simple invitation. Maybe you're a small group or a ministry or even church. Hope happens here. I'm going to end with another little story. If you know me, I am an Olympic junkie. I love the Olympics. I love the Winter Olympics, but I especially love the Summer Olympics and track and field, uh, being a runner. And I, I, I remember seeing this, this story, the video of it, and I've seen it over and over, and, and it's amazing. Many of you will remember this. The Barcelona Olympics of 1992 provided one of track and field's most incredible moments. <clears throat> Britain's Derek Redmond had dreamed all of his life of winning the gold medal in the 400-meter race. He was running the race of his life and could see the finish line as he ran at the turn in the back stretch. Suddenly, he felt a sharp pain go up the back of his leg. He fell face-first onto the track with a torn right hamstring. Now, Sports Illustrated actually recorded this um, with these words. As the medical attendants were approaching, Redmond fought to his feet. It was animal instinct, he would say later. He set out uh, hopping in a crazed attempt to finish the race. When he reached the stretch, a large man in a T-shirt came out of the stand, hurled aside a security guard, and ran to Redmond. It was Jim Redmond, Derek's father. You don't have to do this, he told his weeping son. Yes, I do, said Derek. Well then, said Jim, we're going to finish this together, and they did. Fighting off security men, the son's head sometimes buried in in his father's shoulder, they stayed in Derek's lane all the way to the end. Derek did not walk away with a gold medal, but he walked away with an incredible memory of a father who, when he saw his son in pain, left his seat in the stands to help him finish the race. This is what God does for us. When we are experiencing pain and when we're struggling to finish the race, we can be confident that we have a loving Father who won't let us do it alone. Jesus Christ left his place in heaven to come alongside us. He says, I am with you always to the very end of the age. The beauty of the church is that Jesus, the hope of Jesus is there. Do you have hope? And if so, what are you hoping in? I'm going to close the service in prayer in a moment. But before, before I do, I want to ask two questions. As a matter of fact, these two questions are currently being taught in our Sherry Faith class on, on Sunday mornings. They're called the Diagnostic Questions. The first question is this, do you know for sure if you're going to heaven? I guess there's only three answers, yes, no, maybe, or maybe a fourth, I don't know. But the Bible says in 1 John 5, 13, you can know that you have eternal life. The Bible was written so you may know where you're going to spend eternity. The second question is this. If you were to die tonight and God were to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? If it's anything less than I'm trusting in Jesus, Jesus Christ's alone for salvation, would you give us, the elders, any leader here, the privilege, the honor to share from the Bible how you can know for sure? that you'll have eternal life. Paul writes in the book of Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. George uh, Hornicle actually shared this, I believe, last week. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Paul also goes on to say that we're all sinners, that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And because we're sinners... We don't deserve heaven. We're not worthy of heaven. But the Bible teaches us that Jesus was and is God, and he came to earth and lived a sinless life, and he, listened willingly died on the cross, rose from the dead to pay the penalty for our sins. And then he purchased a place in heaven, and he offers it as a free gift. So the million-dollar question is, how do you receive this gift by trusting in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. It means resting on Christ alone and what he has done rather than what you have done. It means that be willing to turn away from sin. Acknowledge sin, turn away from it. It's called repentance. No surprise here But the Apostle Paul says it perfectly in Romans. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Today is the day of salvation. I'm going to ask our elders if they would come forward right now As always, if you need prayer, we're going to be here for you. But folks, if you're not sure, if you're not 100% sure where you are going to spend eternity, please, please don't leave here without asking one of us. It'd be our privilege just to share what the Bible says about eternal life. Allow me to pray. Please bow. Lord God, your word says you are the hope for the hopeless. We pray that you fill us with hope and give us a tangible reminder today that hope is an unbreakable spiritual lifeline. Lord Jesus, we know that our hope lies completely in you. So we pray that there is anyone in this worship center who isn't 100% sure where their hope lies. May they not leave this building knowing you, our Savior and Lord. So Father, we thank you again for this service. As always, we pray that our service was pleasing to you. And Lord, now as we continue uh, by breaking bread in the Family Life Center, we, we thank you for the food that's been prepared. And we pray that you'd bless the fellowship to follow. Lord God, we love you, and we praise you. And all God's people said, God bless you. If you need prayer, please come forward. If not, you're all invited to the fellowship at the Family Life Center, which is to my left. God bless you. Have a great week in the Lord.